Here at Tech Stalks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're stoked to have Tech Stalks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. Ray-Ban is your reflection in the mirror of your truest self. It's the shade on a hot summer's day. It's your own focus regardless of any spotlight that may be on you. Together, Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you're on. You can't predict the light, but with Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban, you're always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. Follow the light at www.rayband.com. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to one of South Africa's most beloved indie pop singer-songwriters. Straight out of Durban, this musician wears his lyrical heart on his sleeve, quite literally with his tattoos dedicated to his faith and to his mother, two defining aspects of his life that feature heavily in the music that he writes. His music is also refreshingly sincere, and he has crafted heartfelt hit songs like Fire and Darling and the soon-to-be-released Falling that artfully portray his uplifting perspective on the world around him, something that we all need a good dose of during these strange days. I am, of course, talking about Majorzi. Maj, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, thank you. I'm doing so good. Thank you for that nice intro, uh, Tekla. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is how we do on <laughs> Text Talks. But you know that because you are an avid listener to Text Talks, which I really appreciate. Um, yes, man. I'm, i, I got to be honest. Like, I'm really, I mean, I'm going to big you up a little bit here. Like, I'm really, <laughs> I don't want to say proud, but I, I guess that's the word. Like, I'm really proud of of everything you've done you know and the, the things you continue to do and this is one of my favorite things that you've done i really enjoy it like i've listened to at least 80 percent of the podcasts and I, i've thoroughly enjoyed them so well done oh my god you're an absolute gem the feeling is very very mutual but i mean last week when when i saw you and we were talking about the casper episode right how yes. how different does it feel to be on the opposite end of the podcast spectrum now as a guest? I mean, we're only like we're two <laughs> minutes into this interview, but you know what I mean. Well, I mean, I remember when you were like, uh, when I would message and be like, oh, I love this. And then you would be like, oh, we must have you on. And I was like, no, nah, it's too boring. Like, because you had so many, you've had so many amazing and like interesting artists. I'm like, I don't know if I'm as cool as those guys. So, um, I mean, I'm here. So let's just see how it goes. Uh, that means, you, well, firstly, you're here because we love you. But secondly, you are just as interesting as all of the people on our rap sheet, if not more so. But, but you messaged you meant you mentioned when you like would message me after the shows and be like, this is what I this is what was cool, this is what was not cool. I'll never forget, like after the interview with Trezor, the first time on Text Talks, you messaged me and you were like, Tex, I can't believe you dragged Durban like that in your first question. <laughs> like, and and I won't lie, like I'll admit, I feel like it was a bit harsh because you know, deep down, I, I really do love Durban. And some of the best people that I've ever met are from Durban. You were from Durban, or the gangs mm. of ballet boys are from Durban. Talk yeah. talk to me about what it was like growing up in Durban. Um, I love Durban, man. Uh, I'm I'm actually finding now that I'm starting to miss it more and more just because 
we we had such a there's so much more of a, a community vibe there and family vibe, you know, because there's like really nothing else to be distracted by. There's no um, events happening there all the time. There's not all these None. cool things. Zero. <laughs> yeah. So, but that makes you have to interact with people more, you know. And um, so, you know, you go to a friend's house, you bra, you you connect with people way more than um, everywhere else, or at least from my experience. I can't say that's totally true, but from my experience, I've just found the community vibe in Durban so much better than everywhere else, you know. And um, with that comes access to um, people who are kind of like your heroes, I guess. So like when Art Matthews was living in Durban, like it was easy for me to connect with them and he would help me out with my music career. And the same with Gangs of Ballet because we all went to the same school, you know, we went to the same churches, all these type of things. So like access to people was just a whole lot more easier than I think uh, everywhere else. Mm. I think a lot of people also forget that Durban was home is home to a massive punk scene and hardcore scene yes. as well that, yeah. that, you know, you also spent a lot of time on because like a lot of your friends played in City Ball Misers and Go Go yes, Bronco yeah. and Sibling Rivalry. Tell me, because I can't imagine this in my mind, tell me about <laughs> punk-loving Majorzi and the gigs that he attended because, you know, we all know how, how the punk scene likes to throw it out. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, we're taking it back to 06, 08 here. When, I mean, we used to have, they used to have shows at the Wave House. And I remember like bands like Hog Hoggity Hog used to come through, mm. uh, Sibling Library also, Half Price used to come through, Get Naked. And it was just like amazing. Like everyone was just so cool. And we were all just friends, you know. And I think every, every band that came through was so impressed with the Durban scene that they would try and come through as often as possible because we would pack out every show it would be sweating and um i don't know i think i just got into that music from skateboarding when i was younger so you know you we would watch skateboard videos and we'd be like oh we really dig the song on the skateboard video and at that time it was a lot of punk music so mm. there wasn't i think now it's a bit more there's a bit more rap than other music but back then it was like it was punk music so that's what me and my friends got into you know overnight downloading mp3s of millen colin and no effects and um like downloading one song per night and then sharing with your friends uh those were the vibes man it was a it was a really really good time i, I really miss those times actually so did it ever cross your mind that like you might want to go the punk route or did you always see yourself like more love less protest type music well, I mean, I was in like a in like a Christian punk band when I was younger with a, a couple of my mates. So we Shut we up. were called <laughs> yeah yeah. I'd flip a few if I ask my friend, he'll he'll have the songs. But um, we had like um, it was three of us or three or four of us. I don't know. We had rotating bass players, so I honestly can't remember. I think Louis de Villiers, um, the the artist, was he played bass for us for a while. I think you know and um yeah we we tried it out we had a lot of fun um we played like a couple of shows mainly at like churches and things like that but um yeah and then after that i think you know this though but i was in a in a hardcore band after that with, no i did um, not know this no it was a band called show and tell um so the hardcore scene was also huge at that time like 
in like about 07, 08 and with bands like Crossing Point and um, The Rising End. I don't know. I'm saying these names. I don't know if anyone will know them, but they were like quite big. And um, Facing the Gallows was still around at that time. That's when they were like, uh, they had been around for a couple of years and they were big as well. So yeah, I was in a hardcore band. I used to play bass, used to smash things. It was a lot of fun. Used to smash things. Well, okay, not me. The other guys used to. <laughs> it's like I can't imagine this in my mind. Although the picture that I do have in my mind is quite entertaining, I'm not going to lie. And then I was going to ask you if there was footage, but now there's no footage. But anyway, I'm sure there yeah. is. I'm sure there's some footage if we dig deep enough. Yeah, dude. Well, I was we, I was chatting to one of my friends from um, Versus the Wolf, and he's like, he's got so much footage of those times from from everyone, and and I was like, we should make a documentary, dude, of those times, and just get everyone's footage from those back in the day. Obviously, like cell phones weren't really much of a mm. thing back then, but like guys came with cameras and different things, and uh, but yeah, I'm sure we'll find footage eventually of me slamming the bass. <laughs> you know, Madge, I think that that's such such a good idea. And I mean, if it was just said in passing as an idea about doing a documentary about those times, I think you should really think about it like solidly because it it's so weird. Like now that you're talking about like the Durban scene and like the bands that you're involved in and that alternative punk scene, I, I'm I'm busy thinking like with text talks over the last, I don't know, 20 odd episodes that we've done, we haven't really interviewed anybody in the punk scene. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. just just from, you know, the last few minutes that we've scratched, like there's so much to go into, like too much for, for a 45 minute podcast. So I think that if you and the guys that like you grew up with and were jamming with, if you wanted a, a passion project or something to work on, I think that'd be a cool idea. It would be a cool idea, but the footage would be horrible. That's what, the, that's what I'm really worried about. Like every now and then like a Facebook memory pops up and I look at the photos and I'm like, I can't see anything. Like what is going on in this photo? Like why did I think, why did I use this photo as my profile picture? Like I can't see anything. Like what resolution is this? I don't even know. Um, either, but you I mean, can't, either you can't see anything or it says like thunder.com in the corner. <laughs> exactly exactly but i mean listen i'm gonna put it out there to anyone who wants to do it you know like i mean there's guys out there who've got a lot of footage guys listen let's all get together let's start a dropbox folder we'll just hoi it all in there for now and then we'll see what happens i love that i love that let's just put out a call we it'll be in the in the footnotes of of this episode everywhere 100 <laughs> percent. but so max Showmax, also get on board. <laughs> yeah, Showmax, Netflix, South Africa. Oh my god, everybody, just get on board. Um, but 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 the first time, so oh, I want to go back to the first time that I ever saw your name, heard your name. No, I saw it because I got an email from you in my inbox. I mean, this was like years ago. This was when you <laughs> first released your first EP, and I want to say something about the river, by the river, into the river, something like that. It was a single. Uh, it was yeah. That was that's right. The river. Yes. The river. There we go. There we go. Um, and I remember it was like just a link to SoundCloud, and I listened to it, and I was like, oh, the email. Your email was so like lovely and polite, and I was like, hundred <laughs> percent gonna write about this, feature it, and then really soon after, I listened to it and then wrote something about it. Um, you were very quickly got snapped up by Universal. Um, after you released your first EP. And like, <clears throat> obviously, you know, it doesn't mean you hadn't already been creating music for a while, but but 
you know, there's certain things that come with the backing of a major label that, you know, you don't have access to when you're an independent <clears throat> artist. So, I mean, the, the biggest one is financial backing. And, yeah. and what, I mean, apart from that, what was like the biggest change that you had to get used to once you were signed to a label? Well, um, I mean, I came into all of this like not knowing anything. Like I wasn't, I wasn't preparing for this. Like I never thought I'd be able to be a musician. I was working at church, quite happy with that, doing music at church mm -hmm. and just having a wonderful time. Um, but I had all these songs and I put them out there and they did, they did quite well. And I was lucky enough to, like I said, have a bit of guidance from guys like Art Matthews and and um, Gangs of Ballet, especially uh, Brad uh, Kleinsmith, the lead singer. Yeah. And I would just chat to him and I'd be like, dude, what does this mean? What should I do? Uh, you know, what are they expecting of me? And um, the label was really, really cool, man, about it as well. Like, I mean, they, I think this was like back in the day before when when there was a lot more a and r involved in 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 labels not saying that there isn't now but the label really like journeyed alongside me they got guys to come help me write and help mm. me produce and um they were very patient because it took as soon as they signed me it took a long time before i released like a single or mm. anything like that you know and they were very good at communicating with me and they would we would share things and just chat on whatsapp and Uh, it was a really cool uh, relationship, you know, with um, Neil. I don't know if you remember Neil. Neil, Neil Sinclair. And yeah. Neil Sinclair mm. and, uh, and Kevin Grinfall. And um, they would come when I would go record in studio. They would come with me and suggesting things. So that was super, super, super helpful because I honestly, I knew nothing. When I say I knew nothing, I was just like, okay, cool. I'm going to try. You were proper you know, green. I, Yeah, proper green, green, <laughs> very green, very green. But I also like I miss that naivety like about it because um, everything was new and fresh for me. Like mm. everything was a new experience. Um, I didn't know what I could do. And I mean, even when I felt like I couldn't do things, I was like, I'm just going to try and see what happens, you know. And uh, so there was no expectations from me. And um, I mean, I'm not going to say there was no expectations from the label, but It was kind of like we were both figuring out what this thing was, what they were going to do with me, what I was going to sound like. And um, I, just, it, I was very fortunate. So now, I mean, five years on, I think. Jesus, way more. Oh, really? <laughs> like, it's, Well, not way more. Sorry. It's like six, seven years on. Okay. Now. Well, wow. No, that is way more. Yeah. So, I mean, six, seven years <laughs> on, um, how have things changed um with the label yeah or with just regards to yeah you know, with regards to working with the label so now like so this was when i got signed it was before streaming so oh, things wow. that, yeah and yes <laughs> yeah and also don't forget like at that time uh mumford and sons and lumineers and i mean daisies was bringing out bands like mm -hmm. um LJ and so that was my kind of genre you know and that genre was huge at the time so it was it was just popping like I didn't have to do too much just put out a folk song and then you know people like yay <laughs> you know there was an audience for it let me say that 
And um, you and Matthew Mole were just living the dream. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I mean, good old uh, Matthew Mole was killing it. He still is. I mean, he's amazing. Um, <laughs> Both so, of you are. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So we. So those times are very different. So now it's like the whole music um, landscape has shifted, and everything. The music tastes are different. People listen to different music. Like, I mean. Yeah, you barely hear that type of music on the radio anymore. Um, I mean, people still love it, I think, at home, but you don't hear that music on the radio. And with streaming, so much has changed now as well, and it's a whole different game. So so now the label kind of, they, they try and come alongside me, but I try and as much as I can just um, do, not do what I want, but just have a lot more control than what I used to have before, you know, not to say that I didn't have control. I just feel like I have a lot more knowledge than I did back then, you know? Mm -hmm. So they've been, they've been like, uh, it, it goes up and down sometimes, but I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm still super grateful for them and, um, they they still help me out, and we have we still have a good relationship. To be honest, like when I look back at it, like so many people have come and gone from my genre mm. at Universal, and I'm like one of the last people, if not the last guy from that genre. And I'm like, okay, cool, like um, you know, I'm gonna stick it out with these guys because they've been super good to me, and um, it doesn't help to have that knowledge. Um, it doesn't hurt, sorry, <laughs> to have that knowledge behind me and that that huge machine and just figure out what way to best use our talents together. Exactly. I feel like each situation with each artist is very unique. Um, yeah. But also, like you were saying, you know, you're, you know, you're in one way, you miss the naivete and like that fresh first feeling of you know signing with a label and everything being new and putting out your first ep and now six seven years down the line um it's you know you you know the ropes but still double-edged sword because you're so much smarter because you have all of that industry inside knowledge now do you know what i mean yeah, um, yeah i feel like <clears throat> i don't know i yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be kept in kept in the dark. Do you know what I mean? I feel like to become a to become a f well rounded artist, you need to you need to grow. So I'm I'm very happy that you know you've learned tricks of the trade along the way. Hundred percent. Thank you, man. It's more about the people, to be honest. Like it, mm. it, it's. Uh, I mean, I've learned a lot of things, but it's the people I've met that make the difference. Like it's like people like you, it's people in the, in the entertainment side of it, like the, the journalism side of it, the people from recording people high up, people low down, like it just a lot of people. And that, that's what really makes a difference, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, like I've been working in industry now for mm, over 10 years Mm -hmm. I, I learn something new every single day. And I think the most important thing is to not walk around and act like you know everything. And there are a lot of people in our industry who do. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But, but I want to talk about Darling because it's a cornerstone from single from your disc discography, I think. And, you know, it went on to be such a gigantic hit for you. And I think you've also been very smart in the way that you've 
capitalize on the success of that song. I think, you know, there are a few different versions of it. It has a part two. Um, <laughs> you included it in your, your lockdown studio session, which I loved. Um, what does it mean to you to write a song like that, that even now, like five years later, people still can't get enough of it? Um, to be honest, like, I'd, it's, I don't know. Like, it's that song just came about from from me getting an email from Seed, Seed Experiences at the time. I was just chilling at Tasha's restaurants. I remember it like really well. What I was you, chilling at... What were you eating? A club sandwich. Oh my God, I love how you know that. <laughs> no, because I remember because like I don't eat much bread anymore. And back then I was super skinny. So I could definitely have bread. <laughs> so I was having a club sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways so yeah I got I got this email from C and they were like yeah you're going to open uh, we, uh, we're interested in having you open for this uh, big international act it's a big one and I was like and I had no idea who Seed who was like I said like I knew nothing I knew absolutely nothing or nobody and Seed experiences at the time were the people who owned and ran Rocking the Daisies and were bringing out all of the huge international acts like the Lumineers and Mumford well no they didn't bring out Mumford but like the Lumineers and Passenger blah 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 yes yeah and mm. Bastille yeah mm. so and then eventually like after after like a couple of months or whatever found out it was the Lumineers and I was like oh my gosh this is a, amazing this is so cool so I was just watching a whole bunch of live performances of the Lumineers and I was super influenced by their music at that time and um I was just writing I guess because that's what I do <laughs> I was writing a song and I was like yeah, you can call me, me babe, and I was like oh this sounds really really cool and at at the time um I was like oh this is a love song and I'd never written a love song and I was like okay this sounds like this sounds like a love song what am I gonna do I can't change the lyrics because I, I actually quite like these lyrics and um I was still working at church then and uh, I kind of, I was like, okay, let me try and come from this perspective of God's love. I understand what God's love is. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's how I finished writing the song. I was like, okay, cool. I'll do the verses. This is what I think about God. You know, like, he, um, I'm just trying to think of my lyrics quickly, sorry. Um, you do you know, want me to like, sing all, them to you? <laughs> all, my, all my life I've been searching for your love only to find it's been staring right in front of me. And that's. That's how I feel about God. Like people think He's far away, but He's He's right here with us, you know. Mm -hmm. And and that's basically how I finished the song. And I did it. And I mean, um, I, I finished it. I sent the label like a little demo and like, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> and uh, not saying too much. And because um, my demos were shocking back then, like I don't think you could get any good impression from my from my demos. Like um, I'm gradually getting better. But anyways, I went on a, a little writing retreat with uh, Eugene Kutsia from Monarch, mm -hmm. and um, Neil came with us. Neil Sinclair came with us, like, and we just chilled. Like I can't even remember if we did like anything. But while Eugene was braying, I just played darling acoustically and then neil was like i really like that song man i think you should put it on the album and i was like you think so because i i didn't know you know i had no idea and um so then we we put it on the album and then we released uh i think before that was fire we mm -hmm. released fire and that did quite well and then we did we release another single i don't know neil wanted to release 
um, another single from that EP. I think it was a song called Knock Me Down. And I was like, do you think maybe we could release Starling? Like, because I started playing it live by that time. And it was just getting like a, the claps were a bit louder at the end of that song, you know, even though no one knew it. I was like, oh, okay, well, the claps are a bit louder. So maybe, maybe we should release a song because, um, in person, people like the song. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Neil says we fought about it. Like, I, I had to try and convince them, but I don't remember convincing them. But eventually, like, I think literally two days before we switched it up and released Darling. And then that was it. Like, um, I didn't really pay much attention, but all of a sudden I would get phone phone calls from like the most random radio stations like every day saying the song went to number one. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, flip. And then gradually, you know, like playing it more at live shows, people know the words and they get excited. And it was like, it just, it just took off into something that I could never imagine it could to, to be, you know. You can't remember having a fight with Neil, probably because you were so adamant that this was going to be the next single that you weren't even entertaining anything that he was saying. You weren't listening to him. You're like, yeah, Neil, whatever, whatever. But no. but I mean, listen, I'm sure like you're well aware of how popular Darling is at weddings. Like whether whether people are walking down the aisle or whether it's their first dance. I've been to two weddings where darling featured very prominently like it's either you or matthew mole soundtracking a south african wedding uh, and like be honest yeah. with me how many weddings have you performed darling at <laughs> a lot a lot of weddings yeah no it's crazy um it's um it's so it's really heartwarming though like to be honest like it brings it brings a tear to my eyes because um you know i just wrote i wrote that song like i was sitting at home i wrote that song um, and there was no, there was no agenda behind it. There was no kind of purpose other than writing a song. And it's so, it's such an honor for me to have my song as such an important part of someone's life. You know, like when people send me videos of them dancing to my song, um, it really, it like, I get a little tear in my eyes. Cause I'm like, that's a big occasion. That, that really means a lot, you know? And when people hear that song, that's what they think. They think about their wedding, and um, it's it's such an honor for me, and I think it's like the highest compliment um, as a, as a musician that I could ever get. When you perform at my wedding, I want you to do um, <laughs> the the acoustic versions of the Christian punk songs that you were <laughs> that you were putting out back in the day. I think that'd be He's amazing. For them. I'll die happy with the thought in my head. <laughs> Just joking. Oh, I am I am obsessed. Or okay, booked, booked. <laughs> <laughs> it was more. It was. It was more like I'll die happy with the thought in my head. Oh, with the uh, Americana <laughs> twang on the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. But another <laughs> another one of your tracks that I absolutely love is "The Woods" that you recorded with Trezor, and I think <clears throat> I think that we're both on the same page with how much we love him. Um, mm. But but what was it like working with him? Because apart from having this like Midas touch, I feel like his work ethic is also second to none. Am I right? Wow, yeah, he's very right. That guy works so hard. I don't think people realize. Like, I remember the one time when he he just finished like one of his albums, and um, you know, like I, I know him well, so I got to hear some of the songs, bangers. I can't remember which album it was. Great songs, love them. And he was already working on his next one. And I was like, 
bro, you're not going to take a risk. He's like, no, 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 I got to keep, keep working. And um, he, he's an amazing guy. Like, I don't think people give him enough props because he's very humble about it. I mean, he'll tell the story about how he crosses MBZ to get you and things mm. like that, which is already insane. But there's so many other stories that I've heard from other people about him that are, are mind-blowing and that um, and things that I've seen just with him, his his generosity, his kindness, his uh, he gives me so much advice, man. He gives me a little kick up the butt every now and then. He'd be like, what are you doing, dude? Like, hey, what, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, are you working hard enough? Like, what are you doing in Cape Town? <laughs> you know, come to Joburg, meet the people, whatever, you know, and he... Um, he, he's such a such a cool guy but anyways I, I can't remember exactly how we connected I think he sent me a message um, this time he was I don't know he was at Universal Recording I don't know if he was signed but he was he was there and um, he was there making making money moves making hustles yeah <laughs> I mean, you, you know yeah you know Trezel exactly just, yeah, Trezel. just hanging out having a coffee and then you know he signs like a six figure deal with them anyway <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, exa- exactly. That's that's Trezel. But he he sent me a message. He's like, dude, I got this song for you. I mean, you can change the lyrics if you want. And like, and um, and at that time, I'd I'd fin I was doing my album, and I'd actually finished my album. And I was like, let me let me listen to the song. And I was like, okay, cool. I like the song. I was like, do you mind singing on it with me, maybe? You know? And he was like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And uh, he came. I didn't change anything that he that he contributed. Like it was just so perfect the way it was. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, we'll just you know we'll put it on the album and see what happens. And we recorded it. He was so humble. He was like every take. He was like, "Um, is that good enough? And I was like, yeah, no, that was great. (laughs) That was that was amazing. (laughs) And um, yeah, we recorded it and um, it's put it down and then people just seem to love it but we got a remix done of that song and that's the version that everyone knows that uh that avida did these young kids um really cool kids i don't know if you know avida but yeah they did a little dj outfit very cool kids yeah and they did a cool liam actually listens to the podcast a lot so ah cool totally gonna shout out liam because he's probably listening to this going oh god oh god i'm not a kid anymore (laughs) (laughs) well yeah no he's a he's a man he's a young man now but at that time, he was a, he was definitely a kid. He was under eighteen, I'm sure. And uh, anyway, so they they did the remix, and um, it was really cool. We digged it. I think Nick Berger from Universal hooked that up. Thanks, thanks, Nick. And um, yeah, and that's it. Was just fun, and people loved it. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, like it was. I never knew what that song was gonna be and what a cool collab was gonna be. But yeah, all all thanks to Drizzle. Yeah, and then it went on to feature in a Mug and Bean ad. And like yes, you couldn't, wow. you couldn't escape it for for the I summer season. I forgot about that. Yeah, Jeez, I forgot about that. Yeah, Jeez, yeah, it did. Yeah. Every time wow. I saw it, I was list for like a nice piece of lemon meringue. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, w- one of the things that y- you've mentioned a few times, and and something that you've always b- been very open about, is your religion and how that influences your songwriting, um, and and your lyrics. How have people in general? embraced your christianity in in your music um that's a very good question to be honest i really i don't i don't know how most people have like i know when i started like uh, i would have chats about to brad about it and there was at that time there was a thing about like a lot of 
Christian bands would not want to say they were Christian bands mm -hmm. just because Christian labeled music sounded horrible at that time. It sounded really bad. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, it, it, it didn't sound the best. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh. Um, it just wasn't top quality music. And, um, I had so many, I had chats to Brad about it, about the right way to go about it. Like, do I just write songs? Is there, is there a medium in between mm. or do I have to be a Christian artist or do I just have to be a pop artist? And at the time, I mean, Matthew Moll came out and he was doing songs and, um, he was, you know, he had a Christian influence in his music mm -hmm. and, so there was that example, but we we weren't sure. But the one thing that absolutely convinced me was um, Bob Perfect from Durban Is Yours. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. So, this, uh, I mean, I did a podcast with him the other day talking about this. And he, I was doing a show. This is like early days, early. I don't think I'd even finished my EP at that time. And he was, um, I, I knew Bob from the punk and hardcore scene. Like, mm -hmm. um, And he also ran a very cool website for a while called Durban Is Yours. Yes, yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Um, Bob Perfect isn't his real name. I keep forgetting his real name. I, it's been so long. <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, Bob was there and he came and I was like, at that time, Durban Is, Is Yours was really known for for their their saucy commentary on on music and they they they, they held back no no qualms about things and um, they were basically the durban version of mahala uh, yes and yeah. if anybody listening to this is old enough to know what mahala <laughs> is you wow. need to go you need to go have a drink <laughs> yeah jeez wow okay taking us back there <laughs> and um so like i knew he wasn't um, let me say, I, I knew he wasn't a Christian or anything like that. So like I sang some songs and, uh, I kind of omitted things where I would talk about God or something like that. You know, I would just mm -hmm. change the words cause he was in the crowd and he came up to me afterwards and he's like, dude, did you, did you change some of the words to your songs? And I was like, yeah, yeah, dude, I didn't, I didn't want to offend you. And he was like, why? Um, you should just be yourself. Like you shouldn't change who you are just because of who's in the room, you know? And I was like, wow, if this guy is telling me that, then why can't I just be myself and and people respect it? And that's what I found. Like I've tried to be myself as much as possible. I try to be as open as possible, let people know who I am and give them the chance to make a, an informed decision because this is who I am. Like there's no, I'm not a different person on stage. I'm not a different person on in my songs. I'm the same person when you see me in person, when you hear me on a song, when you hear me on the radio, or you see me on TV, I'm the same person. And I think that's really benefited me because people know who I am. And through that, I also know, know who I am myself. Like I know what, who, what I stand for. And I think people respect that, you know, people know what to do when they talk to you, they know what you will do. They know what you won't do just from me being as truthful to myself as possible. I love that story so much. There's so many things that I love about that, like from Bob telling you to be yourself to you going to Brad for advice. And Brad's also one of the best people to go to for advice because also I didn't know this, but uh, but over the years when I – um, got to know Brad and Josh 
through gangs of ballet, like he's written so many songs for Hillsong as well. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really cool, um, that's a really cool story. So basically like you've been part of every festival lineup in South Africa. And I mean, like your, your biggest solo show to date was at the Atibri Theatre in Pretoria. So like I said, this is a two-part question. How scary is it to be the only act on on the lineup for such a big venue? But then also, what kind of validation does that bring to your career when you can host um, as big a solo show as that and then make a success of it? Um, well, it's 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 super scary. It's nerve wracking. Like I don't know how much of a, a success we actually made of it, but I was really proud that we that we tried. You know. Um, uh, it's um it's quite nerve wracking, but uh, the the reason why I could do it was because I'd played there before for corporate things and other things like that, and I was like, I love these people, man. I love these Afrikaans people that come to these shows over here. Such nice people, and people were actually asking me to play there. I'm like, you must come play here. And the staff that work at Atterbury are amazing, very sweet people, salt of the earth. And um, I was just like, I feel comfortable playing here. And um, the organization part of it was hard, man. I, ex- I respect events, organizers, and guys that throw festivals so much now because when you put your own money into it and you have to market it yourself and and all these type of things, you see how much effort actually goes into getting people to come to shows, you know? 100%. Um, but that's but that's like that's been my journey you know you you don't know if you can do something unless you try and um i think we all have enough knowledge now on the internet to to be able to type in what we don't know f- figure it out i have friends who know how to do things that i don't know how to do and you rope them in and um <laughs> you just journey along together i mean i think uh, one of the other things that the internet has provided us, apart from clearer, higher resolution photos, um, <laughs> is social media. And I mean, I I borderline stalk you online. I'm going to be very honest because I mean, your 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 social media is incredible. And when you dropped your latest merch line, the my jersey, I immediately messaged you and was like, Oh my god, how can I get my hands on one of these? Because and there's such a beautiful story that fuels the Majerzies as well. Do you want to unpack the, unpack the inspiration behind it for me? Um, yes, I will. I, I've got to give props to uh, my girlfriend, uh, Daniela, my wonderful girlfriend. She, I hate social media. So, like, I really, I honestly, I struggle with it because… You lie. Yeah, I do, man. Uh, um, it's. I think I hate the side of of everything having to look a certain way to get attention and um, and also just the things you see on social media sometimes really, really depress me. So I struggle with it. So like every time you see something that's really good or decent, that's my girlfriend pushing me to post something and um so so is she is she i'm going to interrupt you for a second is she the inspiration behind lockdown match yes so she actually that was her so she during lockdown she was just videoing me 
And I, if you look at my earlier lockdown manage videos, like I was never smiling because I was like, I'm going to make sure she can't use this footage. And I'd just be like, try and pull the weirdest faces and funniest faces. So and then she'd, she'd just take a video and just like, ah, oh, lockdown match. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? What are you? It's like, no, I'm putting this in the lockdown match folder. And that's what it was. It was just a folder at the time. And then she was like, we should make this into a little video series. There was, um, there was something she was watching on YouTube with this artist, I think, in New York. And he, I think he would take pictures and then he would talk about the pictures. So we were like, okay, cool. We'll do the same thing. And um, I, I mean, I can be funny at times. So I was like, oh, let's try and make it funny. You know, like, let's not take this seriously. And and that's how it started. But it was her pushing me to do that. She's like, we need to do some content for you. I want. She basically was like, I want people to know how much fun you are. Like, I don't want to keep this all for myself. Like, um, people must know you're funny, you know? And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Behind I don't think anyone's going to care. Behind every great man is a woman with a camera. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. She, she makes me a thousand times better. <laughs> so with the my jerseys, um, tell me, Tell me the story behind the my jerseys. Oh yes, sorry, I was supposed to answer that. No, no, no. We got we got so sidetracked by lockdown Madge, which is like <laughs> in it for for people. I mean, we started talking about lockdown Madge, and I didn't even explain it for people who are listening who don't understand. Please do yourself a favor and go and have a look at my jersey's social media and go and watch all of his hashtag lockdown Madge videos. They're amazing. It's basically short weekly wrap ups as to how he's been keeping himself busy during lockdown and it's incredible like there's one where he had a birthday and he daniela baked him or made him all of the food and then there was another one where he talks about all of the netflix that he's been consuming and also his voice i'm talking about you like you're you're not here and i'm not interviewing you but your voice during these hashtag lockdown match videos is so soothing. And that, I think that's why I became so obsessed with them. And I would message you all the time and being like, when is the next lockdown match coming out? I could do it <laughs> daily installments, but we are, I'm digressing again. The my jersey. Um, yeah. So the, the, the idea came where um, I had, um, I was busy at the time. I think I was still working on the single. I was uh, working on my new single falling and I was like, during lockdown, I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things about myself. I learned a lot of things about what I want to do. And I was just like, I almost felt like I'd been given not a new lease in life, but I almost felt like invigorated to to start doing stuff and just trying stuff again. And I was like, I've always wanted to make jerseys. I mean, Ryan, Frey, and I would chat about it all the time and be like, we should, you should do something called uh, you should make jerseys and call them my jerseys. Ryan and Frey, I, for people listening who don't know, uh, used to be Gangs of LA's manager, and he's now one of the owners of Ramfest. Salt of the Earth, mm-hmm. amazing guy. I love that guy. So, anyways, and um, I mean, there's a. I have a, a special thing about jerseys is because my mom used to make jerseys. She used to have like a big like industrial like knitting machine and she would make jerseys and and beanies for me and then she'd be like she'd give me like 50 beanies to take to school and then to sell and then I just give them to my friends and come home with no money and she would be super bummed <laughs> now I'm going through the process of of discovering how much yarn costs and stuff I see now why she was bummed <laughs> but anyways so like I was like okay cool I'm gonna 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out how to make jerseys. And um, at that time, uh, I had a friend, um, uh, Ryan from Africa Made Only, super nice guy. Um, he has a, a company called Africa Made Only, and they have really cool African clothes made out of like sweatshirt and and things like that. And they employ local people, and all the 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 products are local, so everything's very local. You know, it's like like the name says, Africa Made Only, and uh, just giving people jobs and seamstresses and things like that in in the industry. And I really liked them, and that's um that's generally how I work. Like. I'm like, if I like the person you are, I'll work with you, you know, and we can not, um, and we can just grow together. If we don't know something, we can figure it out together, you know? So I messaged him and I was like, dude, I want to, I want to make jerseys. Cause I, I, I looked it up online. I tried to figure out how to do it. Super expensive everywhere else. I was like, we need to start from scratch. And I knew Ryan could help me. So um he was like we actually were we actually just had a meeting with someone about uh jerseys right now and i was like oh cool dude let's um let me know how it goes let's see what the quotes are so we got quotes we found people and um and it, the process took a while like um it's um it's quite um like i said it, it was a different experience for me i'd never been on that side of of making merch you know um and we after a few weeks like it was like okay cool you got all the quotes and everything figured out okay i was like i'm gonna do this and i remembered at at the time um my my girlfriend's been struggling with depression and anxiety for like the last uh, as long as i've known her and she she sent me she always sends me things for me to look over and just to to try and understand. And one of the things she sent me was SADAG, um, their, their website, because SADAG is a South African depression and, and anxiety group. And um, they just do like super amazing work and uh, suggest people go and check them out. They've got a, a suicide hotline. Like if, and even if you know someone who's struggling with mental health, like you can put them on it or you can just read the articles they have about how you can help them as well help your friends, you know, because um, I think especially now uh, during these times where, I mean, Corona's really messed up a lot of people's lives. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of mental health issues going on at the moment. It's really increased. Um, so it's, it's a good idea to check it out. So I, I thought that would be like a, a fitting tribute uh, to her and to all the people that really needed to to donate the profits of the jersey to to SADAG because I think they're doing amazing work and um, it it gave me more purpose behind making the jerseys because I didn't want to make money for myself like and that's not really the type of person I am like I have I get no fulfillment from from making money for myself but I, I want to try and leave an impact and, and help people as much as I can. I mean, I'm just gonna be straight up when I when I hit you up and I said I need one of these my jerseys in my life. You know, how, where, what can I do to get one? How much do they cost? And you straight up were like, "No, don't worry about it. It's fine. I got you." And I I thought that that was very beautiful because obviously, you know, all of the proceeds from these jerseys are are going 
towards, you know, because they're made locally to support industries, struggling industries in the, in the wake of yes. COVID-19. So the money's going to yeah. come from somewhere. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say thank you very much because it means a lot to me. And ever since I got my jersey last week, I've worn it like four times. I love it. <laughs> and my boyfriend wants to steal it, but it doesn't fit him. Woo! Oh, doesn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> Should have got an oversized one so you could both wear. No, ah. no, no, that's not. What, that was not the thinking like behind, behind my my intention at all. But but Funny. listen, I love telling the story because it's super cute. But I first met your girlfriend Daniela at the first Front Run Frinda show in Pretoria. I don't know if I ever told you this, but like, yeah. so so you were perf- performing at that show and yeah. I was doing like journalist things because, you know, whatever. And I was directed to sit <laughs> in a specific box thingy. And, yeah. and I was like very anxious because I didn't, really know anybody in the box and there were a whole lot of like wives and girlfriends there and, yes, and yeah. <laughs> you you said to me you were like don't worry Daniela will be there too and if you need someone to hang out with just look for her and go and introduce yourself and I was like yeah but will she rec- will I how will I recognize her <laughs> and you were like she, she you said to me she'll be the most beautiful girl in the room and listen like no disrespect to any other ladies that were in that room at that time but as soon as I saw her I was like okay no this is Daniela like a hundred percent and we hung out for the whole night and she was so cool and so friendly and you know Madge I can understand why you're writing all of these loved up songs now um but I'm also I'm, I'm very very happy for you my friend um, oh, thanks, yeah, and I'm I'm very excited about the release of Falling. It's been it's been a while since since we've had some new tunes from you. Yeah, it's been a long time. I know. Yeah, it's been it's been <laughs> a long time. How are you feeling about the inevitable release? Um, I, I have to say this. I mean, my girlfriend is super beautiful and all those wonderful things, but she's also like a legit genius. She's super clever. She's like the one of the, if not the most intelligent person I know personally, um, definitely uh, around there. You know, she, like like I said, like she pushes me to do things that I don't want to do, but she knows it will make, uh, ultimately make me happier and make me uh, a better person. So um, it, it's not just her, her beauty that I'm attracted to. And she loves interesting and intelligent people. So I knew that you guys would get along because I was like, oh, well, Texas there, you guys will get along. Easy, no problem. No, you guys are going to get along like a house on fire. So that's why I knew she, you guys would <laughs> be fun. <fine. You> know <laughs> she how, was also looking for friends. Nudge, She's like, <laughs> you know how to flatter, though. You really know how to flatter. I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, uh, okay. That's uh, I mean, listen, it's, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you can ask her, she'll tell you the same thing. No, but, um, but Daniela's now become like my go to person whenever I see her at events. I just gravitate towards yeah. her. I'm like, okay, 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 let's talk about what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's very sweet yeah yeah so like i'm feeling super excited like it's been a while since i've released something and um i mean just to give a bit of context like i wrote i started writing this song at the end of last year and i had a chorus and i had i had a basic idea of what it was going to be about and i knew it, i knew it was going to be about daniela and um like i said she she's she's been uh, struggling with depression and anxiety 
and like as a as a partner and, and someone that loves us so much it's been it's been super difficult for me just watching her go through that and the one thing i've learned during this time is like um TV and and books and all these type of things give you this fairy tale thing where you know you're going to be prince charming and you're going to come in and save the day you're going to have all the answers as a man you know that's what that's what people expect you know that's what society tells you is going to happen but that's not the reality like i couldn't i couldn't be that for her and um i mean no no one could you know it wasn't just a thing of me not being able to it was that wasn't my role for her you know my role was just to to love her and be there for her and 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 help her in any way that I could through this um whole ordeal you know and um I just wanted to write a song to her just letting her know that no matter what happens no matter what she goes through no matter how bad or good it gets like I'm always always going to be there so I had this chorus I had the chorus and um i was like i really want the song to be special but i'm struggling with the verses um i need help and uh, my good friend uh, jethro tate from um well yeah from jethro tate I'm himself from jethro tate. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh, let me just give him some props quickly because he's so underrated and he's one of the best singer songwriters in the country he's one of the best he's the best songwriter in the country like he he wrote i mean smother He's, um, I mean, he's got that pumping tune with Pascal and Pierce. Did he really write he, the Craig Lucas song "Smother"? That's a yeah, yeah, that's a the killer show. track. That's a killer track, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and <Yes>. so <laughs> many other songs. Like he's, he's so like. I mean, he's starting to get his props now, which I'm really g- glad about. But I still feel like he's underrated. Mm. And um, so I, I love and respect the guy a lot. So I was like, he was in Cape Town. I was like, dude, come over. I've got a couple of songs. He worked on a couple of songs. Then we got to falling, and I was like, "Dude, I need, uh, I want the song to be special." So he helped me, and he just he started singing like uh, some melodies, and I was like, "That's it, dude. This is the melody." So we started working on it. He went back home. I started working at it on my own, and like without his contribution, like there, there's no ways I would have been able to to finish it and, and make it what I wanted it to, to be. Um, so anyways, yeah, I re- recorded, I've recorded the song and it's, um, I did, uh, did the vocals with a uh, good old Mike Ziesel's, uh, Mike Zietzman, uh, PH Fat. Um, that's also another story like I, I love to tell because I love Mike purely because he is so, um, he's just so good at the stuff he does. Like he's so cool. And I'd always see him at shows like, be like why is this guy so cool i want to find out more about him and that's actually <laughs> part of the reason why i went to go record vocals with him because he has nice mics as well like i'm not gonna lie he's got beautiful mics that work well with my voice but i wanted to connect more with him and find out more about who he is and just you know and this is also like i mean we were just easing up a little bit on corona so it was the only contact i had with with a person was him did and my go, girlfriend for a while. Did you go record in his little studio there in Harpe? Yes, ah, I did. Rad, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So like, it was super cool connecting with him. And then we got the beautiful Michaela Fay on vocals to do female vocals on there, and she's got such a beautiful mm. voice. Like I've always respected Very her voice. Very deep, like super raspy. Oh, yeah. I'd, uh, me, uh, me, and my other friend um, uh, Aston. Um, we would like send each other her clips on Instagram and be like, wow, 
beautiful. Just listen to her voice. She's amazing. So I was really stoked that she would sing on it. And then uh, the other thing that I'm super proud about is is uh, is Aston. He produced it. So like, I don't know if you know Aston. He's he's been playing keys with uh, for me for for years. Aston um, I mean, Wiley. Aston Wiley, who yeah, played keys it. for you at uh, the Two Oceans Aquarium when you yes. performed it after dark last year. Hundred mm. percent, and he's got a yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I like how you tie in the things you've done as well. <laughs> this is why you get the big bucks, Tickler. <laughs> this is why you get the big bucks. Uh, but he's he's such like, uh, but that guy's like honestly like my my best friend, and we've been working for so long together, playing shows together, uh, trying to write together. And this was like a, the first thing that he's produced for me. And I'm like super, super proud of him because I also feel like he's underrated, not only as a, a singer and an artist and a, a producer, but just as like as a person. He's one of the most amazing and most talented people that he that um, that I know, you know. And then also I got Carlo, Carlo Eustaf. Um, mm-hmm. He's an amazing bass player. He plays for Makassar. I think he played for Jamali. He's, he's just like one of the best Jamali. bass players in the country. Wow. <laughs> or probably, no, no, he's like the best bass player in the country. So like I, I try to get everybody that I really love and respect around the song because it meant so much to me. And I'm so proud of of everyone else's contributions towards it, not just myself. I mean, like um, um, it, it really means a lot to have people that I love and that are people that are really excellent at what they do on the song because I felt like that's what Daniela would lunch want. She loves excellent things. She she really appreciates people's talents. So I mean, that's how the song pretty much um, came together. It's coming out on the sixth of November. I'm super excited and I can't wait for people to hear it. Well, Madge, I, honestly, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for another two hours and we could make this like a a record length podcast but I do want to thank you again for agreeing to sit in the hot seat on text talks and have me bombard you with all the awkward questions about Durban but but you're (laughs) you're an absolute gem of a human like I've said and and I'm sure that falling is going to be another smash hit for you but I can't wait to see the reception to it and I can't wait to see all of the other incredible things that you do and please let me know when you put out another Jersey line so I can be first in line to order one. Ooh, well um, we, uh, maybe I should give you the insights because we're looking at doing <gasps> we're looking at doing bucket hats now so like I'm trying to figure figure that out I've just been so busy now that shows have started again um, but that's like our next move, just something smaller that, um, uh, that everyone can kind of get and wear. And, um, so that's, that's the next thing hopefully that we're going to do. I'll be the whitest white person to ever wear a bucket hat. <laughs> no, no, man. Come on. Anyone can wear a bucket. It's like, it goes across all genres, all people's, uh, all faces, all races. Do you know that, um, <laughs> I don't know where I read about a bucket hat for the first time, but I messaged my friend Bia from Jägermeister. She's the culture man- manager for Jägermeister. I'm sure you know. I messaged her and I said to her, Bia, what's a bucket hat? And she was like, Tekla, you're the whitest white person <laughs> I've ever met in my life. And I was like, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Please educate me. <laughs> but, oh, that's funny. I'll that's totally funny. wear a, a, a Majorzi bucket hat. 
Uh, we, you'll get one soon. Okay. Well, now <laughs> I know what they are. So. <laughs> um, oh my god but i i just wanted to say um thank you so much for having me on like i really enjoyed the podcast i really enjoy what you're doing with this uh and to john and matthew and everyone else i don't know who else is involved and everyone else involved you guys are doing a great job i love listening to this podcast um yeah, just keep doing what you're doing stop it now you can listen to yourself <laughs> next week's episode this is gonna be amazing inception i need you to realize that i'm right here with you when the stars are falling from the skies and your days turn into endless nights no i'll always be there by your side so don't go giving up cause i'll be there when the sky is falling Straight off the floor Carry you through every door I'll make you smile I'll never let that vanish Cause you're the one that I adore Miss a little me amor Don't ask me why I'm still so bad at Spanish Lift your head to the sun You and I just begun A love will never come undone Cause I'm right here with you in the stars Josie for joining us in studio. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also, a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers Jonathan Ings and Matt Lutz, and our research assistant Al Clapper. Catch you on the flip side.